Well, good morning, Greenwood. It is a joy to be here with you all this morning. Um, and I realized that we didn't do a prayer for the offering, so let me do that now as we get started. Father, thank you for your abundant generosity to us. Thank you, Father, that you have given us every good gift, not only of material things, but above all, the gift of eternal life through your Son. Lord, as we come this morning, I thank you for the opportunity we have had to give back to you uh, some part of what you have given to us. We pray that you would use it powerfully to build up your kingdom, to continue the work of Greenwood Press, uh, Lord, and to send out uh, missionaries and ministry to the ends of the earth, that all might hear the good news of Jesus' reign. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, uh, we are going to be in Mark chapter 1, if you will turn there in your Bibles. And while you go to Mark chapter 1, uh, I'll, I'll give a, a heads up that I have not preached in English in the last four years. And so if I start speaking Spanish, I've told those in the sound booth to wave me down and, uh, and give me a heads up. Uh, I don't know what language is going to come out, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll be in Mark chapter 1. Uh, a sermon is going to start in verse 21. Uh, but I will read beginning in verse 1 for context. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt about his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of his sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishes. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, 
who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee and the boat with the hired servant, and they followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Uh, through your Son, you have written down in a book the words of life. We pray this morning that you would open our hearts, open our ears, that we might hear and receive. The message is spiritually discerned. Uh, we can only know it if you speak it to us. Now, Lord, and for the servant delivering the message this morning, and Father, would you help me to speak not as a scribe, not as one who, who repeats the words of men, but would the words that come out of my mouth be those of you? Would they come from your word this morning? And would you speak here to all of us that we might hear, that you might open our hearts to receive it, to be changed by your word? Because your voice has power. Would we hear the call of the voice of Jesus this morning? We pray this in his name. Amen. So Jesus um, comes and he arrives there at the synagogue. And the impact on that is probably a little bit surprising to us. So to give some idea, this is not something I would normally do from the pulpit, but hey, Greenwood, listen up. And that gets everybody's attention. And that's, I think, what we're looking at here at the beginning of our passage this morning. It says that Jesus, in uh, uh, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, it says that when he arrives, he immediately came into the synagogue and was teaching. And the people were surprised. It was not what they were expecting to have happen that morning. And then even though y'all don't know me, you're listening. Uh, because you recognize that the word of God has authority. Now, you recognize it's not about what I'm saying, it's about what the Bible says to us this morning. Uh, because whenever someone is preaching, uh, you know that to the extent it's from the Bible, to the extent that the preaching is the message of the gospel, that it has authority. Uh, and that the Bible talks about the Word of God in several different ways. Uh, three different ways we see the Word of God used in Scripture. And the first of that is the Bible talking about itself. The Bible says that it is the written word of God. 
Uh, these are the words that God spoke uh, through his son by the Holy Spirit uh, for us. This is the word of God. Every word here in our Bible is breathed out from the mouth of God. And second, uh, the Bible talks about the word of God in the form of preaching. Uh, insofar as preaching is the message of the gospel, insofar as it's based on the Bible, uh, it is the message of the word of God, the message of the Bible. And the third meaning of the word of God uh, is who we're talking about. It is the person that we're seeing here in our text. And here in Mark 1, we're coming face to face with the word of God made flesh in Jesus Christ. Uh, we see the word of God uh, with skin on, living among us, uh, God and man in Jesus. And what we see is that the word of God in the Bible has authority because Jesus has authority. This is the word of Jesus. Not just the, the red letters and some, some versions that highlight particularly the words of Jesus, but all of this, Jesus spoke. Some of it he spoke out of his mouth as a human being. Uh, some of it he spoke through his Holy Spirit by the prophets. But all of this is the word of God. It's his message. And Jesus doesn't just have authority. Jesus is authority. Uh, Jesus is sovereign. It's an attribute of his character. Uh, Jesus is all-powerful. He has all authority. Uh, it's, it's who Jesus is. And so when Jesus says, listen up, we listen. And our text this morning is going to show us three different ways that Jesus speaks with authority. Three ways Jesus speaks with authority. Jesus uh, teaches with authority. Uh, Jesus judges with authority. And Jesus acts with authority. Uh, Jesus teaches, Jesus um, judges, and Jesus acts with authority. And so first, we see that Jesus teaches with authority. And so I'll give a little bit of context. Uh, Mark moves really fast. You know, we're here still in the middle of chapter 1, and already tons of things have happened here in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Jesus has already been baptized and tempted in the wilderness. And you'll remember that John testified to his disciples uh, that this was the promised one. This was the Messiah, the one whose sandals John wasn't even worthy to stoop down and untie. And right after that, we heard the voice from heaven proclaiming who Jesus is. And immediately after that, John was arrested. And so all of John's followers, all John's people, they're standing around. They're waiting. John said something big was going to happen, and they're waiting to see what it is. They know that something's coming and then right before this passage, it says that Jesus uh, came uh, to, back to Galilee, and Jesus was preaching the gospel. And he called Peter and Andrew and James and John away from their fishing nets. And then finally, here in verse 21, we get to the story. We've been waiting for something big in these first verses of, cha of chapter 1 of Mark, and finally we see what it is. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. So Capernaum, here's the big city in the area, and this is a little over 20 miles from the town of Nazareth. Uh, probably this is the city uh, where Peter and Andrew and James and John were from. And a few of these people here in the synagogue had probably heard of Jesus. And he was the new teacher from down the road. And he has a few young men from the city who just left everything to be his disciples. 
And so Jesus is showing up in the synagogue. They've heard who he is, but it's still an impact when he arrives. And a quick side note, um, it mentions here that immediately on the Sabbath, it's talking about the Sabbath, and we often err in two different ways on, on the way we think about the Sabbath. And often we just do whatever we want to on Sunday. We might give Sunday morning, okay, we'll go to church, but the rest of Sunday is for us to do what we want to with. Or, in some circles, we might treat the Sabbath day as a day for us to be really careful about strictly keeping a list of rules of all the things we're not allowed to do on Sunday. Right? You've probably heard someone at some point or other give the list of things that you're not allowed to do on Sunday. Um, and Jesus shows us a third option here. Uh, Jesus shows us that he is honoring the Sabbath with kingdom work. He goes and he's teaching and he's working um, for the kingdom of God on Sunday. So what do I have to do on Sunday? And what are the things that I can get away with doing on Sunday? Are both the wrong question. Uh, the right question is, how can I most enjoy Jesus today? How can I rest in Jesus today? How can I help other people enjoy Jesus and rest in Jesus today? Um, so that's a side note about this being the Sabbath. But jumping back into our text, verse 22, it says that they were astonished at his teaching. But he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Um, if you're a scribe, this probably hurts. Uh, Jesus uh, is teaching differently from the scribes. Uh, and the people are astonished when someone comes to them who actually knows how to teach the Bible. Because apparently the scribes didn't actually know how to teach the Bible. The scribes had turned teaching into an academic exercise. Uh, we have some copies of Leviticus uh, from the followers of the scribes. Uh, many of our, our uh, Old Testaments that we have today, the oldest copies of it, are from the followers of this group of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's very interesting. For instance, in Leviticus, uh, they, they put all sorts of other markings to help, help study. Think about, like, if your, uh, your Bible might have some footnotes or some study notes in the margin, the scribes had all sorts of footnotes and margin notes to, to help study the Bible. But the kind of notes they made were things like, which is the middle word in the book of Leviticus? I just, I would hate to be that scribe. You know, some poor scribe, that was his career, was going through the book of Leviticus and counting every word to make sure that they had correctly identified what is the middle word in the entire book of Leviticus. They knew the Bible. They studied the Bible in, in detail. But they missed the point of it. They missed the message. Now, something else the scribes did is they very carefully cited all of their sources. Now, not to say that, that plagiarism is good, uh, but they had missed the point of the message because they were just trying to show off how much they had read about the message. And so they would say, Rabbi so-and-so said this about this passage, and Rabbi so-and-so said this about this passage. And they would miss, what does Jesus say about this passage? What does God intend in this passage? And the Greek word that's translated authority uh, here in our, our, our Bibles, our English Bibles, that appears various times in Mark 1. Uh, this this uh, Greek word translated authority means to have a right to speak or act in a situation without looking or waiting for approval. To have a right to speak or act in a situation without looking or waiting for approval. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is teaching with authority. 
He says, I don't need to cite my sources. I don't need to wait for your approval. This message is the truth because this message was given by God. And that doesn't mean that human authority doesn't exist. Uh, God also tells me that I should submit to the leaders of the church. And so if the session of GPC uh, told me, son, you better sit down, that's heresy, then I better do it. But insofar as the message of the Bible is what people are teaching, it has authority. And we don't have to wait for people to give us permission to tell others about it. Teaching with authority says this message is true. This message is the word of Jesus, and it has to be obeyed. And to teach with authority, therefore, means that we have to be teaching what the Bible says. And to apply this to our lives, this is not just for pastors preaching from the pulpit that have a chance to teach what the Bible says. This is for everybody who knows God. If you know Jesus, you can tell other people definitively, authoritatively, who is Jesus. An example, it's, um, it would be like a man who edited his lifelong best friend's autobiography. And so if he was going to lead a book study as the man who had edited his lifelong best friend's autobiography, he could speak authoritatively to what each passage in the book meant. If there was a question in the book study about, well, you talked about this, um, this event. Like, what, what happened in the guy's life at that point? He could say, hey, I can explain it. I can tell you about it. I was there, or I heard about it in person from my friend. I, I know exactly what that is. A man who had edited his lifelong best friend's autobiography has two things. One, he really knows the book. He's studied it. He's communicated it. He's read it. He, he knows it. And the second thing that's even more important is he knows the author. He knows the person who the book is about. And Jesus taught the Bible like someone who knew what the Bible was about. He knew the book because the book was about him. It was his book he wrote about himself to tell people who he is. Jesus didn't have to wait for anybody's approval uh, to, to talk about what the Bible meant. And so study this book. Love this book. Know the person who the book's about. Know Jesus. And then you can tell other people about it. If you're talking to one of your coworkers, if you're talking to a neighbor, you don't have to say, well, my pastor says whatever, or, well, I know this is a kind of tricky, uh, controversial issue, but the thing that my church says about it is, no, don't tell them what your pastor thinks. Tell them what the Bible thinks. Tell them what Jesus said. All we have to do is know the Bible, and that is something that every one of us who knows Jesus can do. We can tell other people. We can tell our friends. We can tell our neighbors about the message of the gospel. We don't have to say, well, according to my pastor, uh, Jesus is willing to save everybody who comes to him, and there's grace available, and we, we have a chance to, to be saved and to go to heaven because the Bible said so. We can say, the truth is, Jesus is gracious because he said it and because I believe it and because I know it's true. And he has told me, and I know him, that he's willing to receive everyone who comes down. That should give us boldness in the way in which we speak. 
And not only does Jesus teach with authority, but Jesus also judges. When Jesus speaks, he judges with authority. Now look with me at verses 23 and 24. It says, Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so Jesus is coming to the synagogue. This is the very beginning of his teaching ministry. Uh, first time, perhaps, that he's teaching in the synagogue. And, uh, and from the get-go, uh, he has a demon show up to cause a disturbance in the sermon. Now, I, for one, am very glad that in my first sermon, I did not have a demon show up to cause a disturbance. Um, but that's what we're seeing here. How rude. But look, he calls uh, two different names. He, he says two different names or descriptions about Jesus. First, he says he is Jesus of Nazareth. And this is probably to discredit Jesus. He is from Nazareth. This is the, the podunk town um, you know, down the road. You know, head, head out of Caponium, you know, turn 15 miles to the left to go to Cana, um, and then you'll, uh, you'll turn right and you'll pass Nazareth in 15 miles there. Um, this, is, this is out in the middle of nowhere. Um, to, to use an illustration that perhaps people in Greenwood recognize, this is, uh, this is due west. You don't get to due west by accident, right? Um, this, this is out in the middle of nowhere. And so they're saying, he's from Nazareth. He's from due west. He's, he's not from the city. He's not from Bethlehem, where his promise the Messiah would be from, although he was, but the demon didn't say that. He's not from Jerusalem, the capital, the, the center of everything, the religious center, the, the place where the temple was. He's from Nazareth. Nazareth. And so this was intended to discredit Jesus. And second, he calls him the Holy One of God. This demon-possessed man says that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And this is also a true statement, but meant in a twisted way. I would think that if a demon wants to convince people that you are not holy, there's probably little he could do better than to call you holy. Um, it is a true statement. But typically, when demons start talking about people being the holy one of God, we, we don't tend to trust them, right? And so the, the demon is saying a true statement, uh, but with the intent of discrediting Jesus. And that's why Jesus in the next verse tells him to be muzzled. In that translation here that I read from the ESV, it says, be silent. Uh, I really like the Greek there. Literally, it is, be muzzled. Um, get a muzzle stuck on you, like a, like a dog, that, dog that's yapping. Um, you know, we get that. You know, whenever your neighbor has, a, has a, a little yappy dog, you know, a Yorkie or something like that, they just won't stop making noise. It's like, ah, can, can you make it be quiet? It says, be muzzled. You're annoying me. Stop it. You're not promoting the truth. And then do you see what the demon said? Have you come to destroy us? This demon knows who Jesus is. The demons knew every single time we see them in the New Testament exactly who Jesus was. Because they remembered being kicked out of heaven by Jesus. Jesus has authority, and they knew it. In James, it says that the demons 
um, know who God is. They believe God is one and they shudder. They don't have doubts. They know what is true. And it's terrifying to them. In Revelation 19, uh, we see an image of judgment. We see the beast and the false prophet and all of the kings of the earth and their armies, and they will line up against Jesus. And so we see all of the human forces and all the spiritual forces in the universe aligned against Jesus and his people. And it says, Jesus will speak a sword from his mouth, and they will fall dead and be thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus speaks. The voice of Jesus He will speak. And all of the forces of wickedness will fall. And the demons already know it. And so the spirit protests, what do you have to do with us? They're asking, leave us alone, please. And Jesus' response is, yeah, right. You're oppressing my people. Now, Jesus did not come this first time to bring judgment, but to save. But anyone who is in the way of Jesus saving had better scramble. Jesus is not okay with those who oppress his people. And so Jesus says, close your mouth and get out of here. Jesus will judge with authority. And even this demon knew that. So what do we do about that? Well, if even the demons know that Jesus will judge with authority, those who are in Christ should recognize it too. What we do is we warn our friends. The demon uh, trembled because he knew it was too late. It's not too late for those of our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members who don't know Christ. And so the passage would demand that we warn them. We tell them there is a hell. Jesus will judge everyone for our sins. And there is none of us who does not stand guilty and condemned before him. But he's also gracious. Unlike this demon, for us there's hope. And we can tell others about the gospel to run to Jesus for salvation before he returns to judge. And there's also a message here for those of us who are Christians. And that's that we have tremendous hope. The fact that Jesus will return in judgment is only scary, it is only despairing for those who don't know him. For those of us who are in Christ, there is grace. Jesus judges us righteously with his voice. And he says, you are spotless. You are pure. You are innocent of every charge against you. Not because of what you've done, but because I've already taken the punishment upon myself. Now, Jesus judges with authority, and he judges those who belong to him, spotless and righteous, with authority. Jesus judges with his speech. And the third way that Jesus speaks with authority is Jesus acts with authority. So we've seen that Jesus teaches with authority, and Jesus judges with authority, and now Jesus acts with authority. And you say, but Andrew, you said that these are three ways that Jesus speaks with authority. Acting is not speaking. Uh, if Jesus is speaking, he's not acting. Um, and it's true that for you, speech is usually not an action. And that's because you and I don't have this kind of authority. But if 
Um, you have all authority over the universe if your voice has the ability to change anything in the universe that is then yes, speaking is, in fact, acting. Uh, when God wanted things to be, what did he do? He spoke. He said, let there be light. And the universe sprang into existence. When Jesus speaks, his creation and creatures respond. His speech is action. Jesus created all things with his voice, and all things will obey it. Just says, mountain, move, and it moves. They say, hey, rocks, it's time to cry out, and I'll cry out. Jesus says, ocean, stop. Here's the line right here, and the ocean obeys it. He says, wind, be still, and it calms. All of creation obeys the voice of Jesus. Jesus says, demon, come out, and, and be quiet. You're annoying me. And the demon comes out. At verse 26, it says, And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Jesus gave two commands. He said, Come out and shut your mouth. And the demon was forced to obey. Jesus acts with authority. He speaks with authority. His word does something. But you see, when Jesus commanded the demon to come out, it had to do it. But it was really melodramatic as it did it. Uh, this is like, uh, one of my brothers was this way. For, for me, when my mom said, don't touch that as a small child, um, I was a little bit more defiant. I just you know, touched it. But one of my brothers, if my mom said, don't touch that, his hand would always be about one inch away. I'm not touching it. The demon is doing that. He can't disobey Jesus. But he is not obeying willingly, even though he doesn't want to do it. He has no choice. You know, it says that he convulsed the man and, uh, and, and cried out, convulsing and crying. Uh, the this, this spirit wanted everyone to think that he was big and bad, pretending like he could resist. Uh, Jesus told me I had to come out and I couldn't speak, but he didn't say I couldn't shake the guy while I did it. The biggest and baddest forces of hell cannot withstand a single command from the voice of Jesus. This is, this is authority. And the people understood that this act of Jesus was something different. In verse 27, it says, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. You know, sometimes we might read about so many different exorcisms as we read through the Gospels that we forget about what a big deal this is. Um, I expect that probably if anyone in the city had had the ability to do something for however long, however many years it had been, that this man had been demon-possessed, they would have done it. No human being had had the ability to do anything about this. Uh, this is a fallen angel. Uh, this is a being who has a different order of being than us. More powerful, uh, more able, and no one had any ability to do anything about this man who was suffering from this demon. But Jesus commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. This new teacher from Nazareth just has to say, come out, and his voice acts. 
And so the people who had previously been astonished at Jesus' teaching are now astonished at his actions. This is teaching with authority. And the passage ends by saying, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And when we understand what's going on, the only surprising thing is that his fame only spread through Galilee. Now, what Jesus has done is something so amazing, something that was supernatural, uh, something that no human being could do. And Jesus spoke with the authority of the word of God. And so we've seen several ways that Jesus speaks with authority. Jesus teaches with authority, Jesus judges with authority, and Jesus acts with authority. Jesus is himself authority. Uh, it, it, is, it is his nature. And Jesus is authority. But the really odd thing is that for all of the authority of Jesus, you and I break his commands every hour. Think about that. When Jesus says rocks cry out, they cry out. When Jesus says wind be still, it's still. Uh, when Jesus tells demons to come out, they have to fall into line. When Jesus tells the dead to get up, they do it. And when Jesus tells you to give to the poor, even if it costs you some material things, uh, some, some dining out, a vacation, coffee, a new car, then this is really crazy. Unlike everything else in all of creation, Jesus tells you to do it, and so you don't. Or uh, when Jesus says, thou shalt not commit adultery, and Whoever looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart. And this is really strange. Sometimes we do it anyway. Or when Jesus says not to let any unhelpful speech come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And so sometimes you and I still boast and gossip and complain and criticize after Jesus gave the command. You know, there are times that temptation comes, and we know exactly what it is, and we decide that at that moment, <clears throat> sin seems either more fun or less inconvenient than obeying the authoritative voice of Jesus. And so we decide to sin. But Jesus teaches with authority, and all the rest of creation obeys him. This is who Jesus is. And so may he change our hearts so that we listen when he speaks and so that we submit ourselves to his authority. We can only do that if he first changes our hearts. And so if you don't know Jesus, this is who he is. He has all authority. And he is calling you to come and to be changed. And for those of us who do know him, but continue every hour to fall short. He says, come and listen to my word. Come and listen to me. Spend time with me. Know who I am so that I can change you and make you like me, so that you will obey the sound of my voice. Let's pray. Father, we come and we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have spoken through the Bible. You have spoken through the message of the gospel that we learn there. And you have spoken through your son. 
who has all authority, uh, who speaks and, and all of creation obeys. We ask that you would give us hearts of obedience. You would give us hearts that listen to the sound of your voice. That you would help us to love you and that would flow out following you in all things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.